Good morning, brothers. Good morning, brothers. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome, awesome. I'm fired up to preach to you guys this morning. Come on, bro. The title I've been given is Greater Fruitfulness. Greater Fruitfulness. You know, this world is a dark place, guys. Uh, just this morning, I came across an article titled, Church Without God. Secular congregations fill a need for the non-religious. I don't know about you, but my Bible says my God will meet all of your needs. It's Philippians 4 and 9. My God will meet all of your needs. Is this your heart, brothers? Do you believe this? That God will meet all of your needs? Maybe you don't believe it. Or maybe, just like the people in this article, you believe your needs are met by something in the world. You see, what you believe is obvious. It's displayed for everyone to see in how you live. Like a snow globe. Matthew 7, verse 16, says that the fruit in your life is a direct indicator of what's in your heart. The fruit in your life is a direct indicator of what's in your heart. And if there's no, if there's no fruit in your life, well, what's in your heart? What's in your heart? Matthew 7, 16, it says, By their fruit you will recognize them. And so by somebody's fruit, whether there's some bad fruit or no fruit, this is how you know what's in their heart. It's like, uh, imagine an orange tree. An orange tree has DNA, but you can't see the DNA with your eyes. What you can see are the oranges. That's how you know the DNA is there. It's how you know it's an orange tree. In the same way, a disciple has spiritual DNA that causes him to produce disciples. That DNA is called conviction. And you know it's there when disciples are being made. If you don't have a conviction about your need for God, there's no way you can get, convince someone else of their need for God. We live in a world where people feel their needs, but they're so spiritually blind they think they can fill those needs with godless social clubs that they call church. There are a few men in all of Sweden that can change the nation. There are a few men that can cause the scales to fall off the eyes of 10.5 million lost souls. And it's the men in this room. Guys, there's nobody else in all of Sweden that can do what we can do. There's nobody else in all of Sweden that can make a true disciple. There's nobody else in all of Sweden who has a desire to live out God's word for their life. And show that to other people. It's just us. But it's going to take deep conviction to make this happen. I have two points for you today, two convictions, greater worship and greater work. Mm, Point one, greater worship. Turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. In verse one, it says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. 
He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. The Bible says that God's a gardener. I don't know about you, but I don't know a single gardener that desires to have a low yield or no yield plant. No gardener wants to have a tree in their backyard that has no fruit on it year after year after year. It's a useless tree. God wants fruit-bearing branches on his tree. And it says he makes the fruitful more fruitful, and the useless, he cuts off. He cuts off. You know, plants all have a system of veins just like we do. There are two types. There's the xylem and the phloem. It's a vascular system of a plant. And those two things, they transport the water and minerals from the roots. That's the xylem. And the phloem transfers nutrients from the leaves. You could compare that water and nutrients to the spirit of God and the word of God. And why would God give up those precious things to someone who's not using them? In Matthew 7, in verse 6, it says, Do not throw your pearls to pigs. You know, we often read this in the context of non-disciples. Don't keep going after that guy that wants nothing to do with God. True. But you and I aren't excluded from this scripture. If you reject God's mercy, grace, and wisdom, it doesn't matter who you are. He won't keep giving it to you. This is what it means to be cut off. Praise God if you're a disciple. Verse 3 says you're already clean. You've already received God's grace and mercy. And you're fit to make more disciples. The same word that's used in verse 3 of John 15 for clean is the same word as this, uh, that's used for prune in verse 2. It means to purify. So you've been purified at the waters of baptism, and now you're fit to go and bear fruit. Come on, bro. But like it says in verse 1, you have to continue to be purified. Sorry, verse 2. You have to continue to be purified and pruned so that you can bear more fruit. Mm-hmm. Verse 4 says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. After you've been originally pruned, originally cleaned and purified so that you can be a disciple, Jesus says to remain in me. Remain. It means do not depart. Do not depart. We know from John 1 that Jesus is the word. And so what it's saying when Jesus says, do not depart from me, saying, do not depart from my word. Do not depart from those principles that you learned in the beginning. Do not depart from those things that took you from being a porn addicted, drug addict, alcoholic, to someone who now preaches and saves lives, saves souls. My question for you today, brothers, is are you living out the word of God, or have you departed from Jesus since you were baptized? I think as disciples, we can get very comfortable. 
you start cutting corners, maybe it starts small. You know? You tell most of the truth. You, you get mostly open. You, I leave out a detail. It's fine. It's okay. I'll be fine. Maybe you one day you, you only have five minutes to pray and you think, oh, it's okay. I'll make up for it tomorrow in my quiet Whoa. time. I'll have an extra long prayer tomorrow. Maybe you realize you didn't share your faith all day. And you say, oh, ah, bummer, man. I'll do it tomorrow. Hey, and you start to take it lightly. That's garbage. Come on. James 1 says, if you don't live out the word you read, you deceive yourself. Come on. Come on. And beyond that, guys, you lie to the rest of the world saying you're living like Jesus. Remaining in Jesus, remaining in the word means following the blueprint of his life. <laughs> following the blueprint of his life. And Jesus was a man of great worship. Jesus sang to God. He prayed to God. He sacrificed for God. He swept for God. He preached for God. He cast out demons for God. And we know, of course, that he died for God. Mm. Jesus' entire life was about putting God first. Mm. Come on. Come on, bro. Wow. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Mm. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Wow. Guys, if your life isn't about putting Jesus first, you can do nothing. Mm. That doesn't mean I wake up in the morning and I have a quiet time and I put Jesus first for an hour, two hours, and then I go about the rest of my day doing whatever I want. Mm. It doesn't mean that I sit down to pray middle of the day because I struggled my face off all morning and I sinned and I gave into everything and oh, I got to repent, okay? And then I go on sinning after that. It means your whole life, everything you do, every train you get on, every store you walk into, every time you do your homework, every time you're on campus, you're living for God, Come putting on. him first. Come on. Verse 6, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. You know, branches that are cut off are useless branches. Either they're fruitless or withering. And a, a, a branch that's receiving nutrients doesn't wither. It has the spirit in it. It has the word in it. It's flourishing and it will be fruitful. But this verse is the same message as verse 1. If your life isn't about putting God first, you get cut off. You get cut off. If you're not remaining in Jesus, if you're not studying the word, if you're not living it out, your life isn't about God, and that's when you get cut off. See, if you're not serious about living this life of worship, you got to realize, brothers, that you're literally signing yourself up for the fires of hell. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Worship is so important because it's what disciples do. It's what disciples do. 
Isaiah 43, verse 7. I'll start in six. It says, I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God says that we were created for his glory. The very purpose that he made us was to glorify him. The reason we were made was not to live this life and have fun and just be happy-go-lucky guys that don't really do anything with their lives. We weren't made to build up a business. We weren't made to pursue our career. We weren't made to do these things that the world so cherishes. We were made to glorify our God. To glorify God is to worship God. And your worship, your closeness to Jesus is what will cause you to bear fruit. Mm. The scripture says that bearing fruit is simply proof that you worship God. Mm. Right? It says, Mm. this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I think a lot of times we have this misconception, guys. We have this misconception that if I go work incredibly hard, I'll bear fruit. There's some truth to that. If I just share my faith more, I'll bear fruit. There's some truth to that. If I just know what to say to people, I'll bear more fruit. There's some truth to that. But at the end of the day, the truth is if your worship isn't on point, if your life isn't worshiping God, you will not bear fruit. The Bible says you cannot bear fruit. So I want us to focus this year on our worship, guys. Greater fruitfulness will start with greater worship. Yes. Come on. Come on. Thank you. So how do you have greater worship this year? Well, you got to take it back to the basics. Take it back to the basics. What made you become a disciple initially were those very sweet first principles that you learned as you're becoming a disciple so i'll give you a practical study the first principles and when i say study the first principles guys i don't mean look over them make sure you know the scriptures make sure you know the talking points okay i can study the bible with someone no i don't even think you should be studying with the bible with someone if all you've done is memorize the points what i mean is study the first principles not for one quiet time For at least a week, study seeking God. For at least a week, study the word of God. For at least a week, study the kingdom. And I would recommend going even further. Have you ever studied what it means to seek God for one week straight, seven days? I'll tell you, you'll you'll have a deeper conviction about what it means to seek God. Have you ever studied the kingdom for a week straight? Two weeks straight? You know how much there is in the Bible about the kingdom of God? There's more than you can imagine. I'll tell you, if there's any bitterness in your heart towards the kingdom, that'll get rid of it. (laughs) Study out the kingdom for a couple weeks. Brothers, I implore you today to build deep convictions this year in the first principles. Without deep convictions, you won't live according to them. 
Without deep convictions in God's word, you will not remain in it and it will not remain in you. You won't live a life of worship. And if you don't live a life of worship, there will be no fruit. Guys, this year we want to take the church from good to great. Yes. The church last year was pretty good. It's pretty good. But how much better could it be? Yes. How much better could it be if we had five more Jesses? Yes. Five more Johannes's? Yes. 20 more Hervés? Come on. Wow. We could add 15 to each of these guys too. <laughs> to take the church from good to great, guys, we have to have deep convictions. Deep convictions preach for themselves because people will see it in your life. But at the end of the day, greater worship is just the beginning because true worship leads to greater work. Point number two, greater work. Come on, let's go. Turn with me to Mark chapter five. Let's go. Mark chapter 5. In verse 1, it says, They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. This was a man full of demons. So many that he was called Legion. Legion. That's a a very large group. Very large group. It's a group of soldiers, like you said, in the, uh, in the Roman army. There was a legion of demons inside this man. But when he came face to face with Jesus, when he came face to face with Jesus, this is when the demons left him. This is when Jesus could cast out his demons. Now, this is the story of someone's conversion, but guys, this is how your quiet time should be every morning. This is how your quiet time should be every morning. You know, sometimes it gets late at night and you get some thoughts that start to creep in. You start thinking about that girl you saw at work. You start thinking about the party that those kids were talking about on campus. And your mind starts to wander, what if? What if I said hi to her tomorrow? What if I just swung? I won't drink, but what if I just swung by the party? I just want to hang out with my friends. 
These thoughts, guys, persist. They're in your mind all night while you're unconscious. And you wake up in the morning and sometimes you don't want to even wake up. You don't even want to have a quiet time. You're lacking confidence. You wake up feeling down. You wake up feeling like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I can't face the day. These are the demons that should be cast out in your quiet time. If you drop down to verse 18, we get to see the result of a great time being face-to-face with Jesus. It says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Guys, this is the result of a great quiet time. This is when greater worship leads to greater work. Mm-hmm. What did this man do? First of all, he wanted to go with Jesus. It's just like the mountaintop experience that we always hear about, right? You could stay on the mountaintop all day. You could want to stay with Jesus all day, but then nothing gets done. Mm-hmm. Nothing gets done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can't out-worship your work. And you can't outwork your worship. If your quiet time is phenomenal, your worship is awesome. But it doesn't make up for not doing any work. It doesn't make up for not doing any work. This demon-possessed man, after he was set free from this trap of Satan, went on to preach to the Decapolis. Decapolis means ten cities. How many people have you shared your faith with in the last year? Is it ten cities worth? Can you name 10 cities in Sweden? I know the natives probably can't. 10 cities is no small feat, guys. Think about what this guy had to do. You can't go speak to 10 cities at the same time. They're in separate places. You can't speak to a whole city at the same time. It's massive. This guy had to go into each city with conviction, with that same fired upness that we talk about that he got from Jesus, and preach to people day after day after day. Imagine how long it took him to reach 10 cities. This is hard work. How hard have you been working to evangelize the world? Proverbs 14. Proverbs 14, and you should know it. Verse 23, it says, sometimes hard work might bring a profit. Is that not what it says? Am I reading the L-I-E? Let's read it again. It says, all hard work brings a profit. All hard work brings a profit. How hard have you been working, guys? There's a difference between working and working hard. There's a difference between being busy and working. So there are three levels here, guys. You could be busy. I could be out all day. I could be on campus, a a full-time paid intern, and I could look busy all day. I'm walking around. I'm sitting down. I got my Bible open. I'm sitting in someone else's Bible study. You know, I'm going back out, and I'm, I'm talking to people, sharing my face a little bit. Not my faith, my face. I look real busy, but I'm not working. Then there's work. Then you get to, okay, I'm out sharing my faith. I've got some Bible studies of my own. 
this is great. Awesome. It's not great. It's good. Mm. It's good. Amen. Great is hard work. Hard work is I wake up at 5. I wake up at 4.30. And I have my quiet time before the sun even thinks about coming up. Hard work is after I have my quiet time, I go straight to campus. And as soon as the first student shows up, they see me there because I got there first. And I can share my faith with them. Hard work is... When the students start to flood in at lunchtime, I don't sit there and eat my lunch because it's lunchtime. It's I get up and I go share with every single person sitting in the cafeteria. I share with every single person studying for that exam in the library. Hard work is after everybody leaves campus, I stay a little longer to make sure I didn't miss anybody. Hard work is when I get home, I don't go to bed. I don't start playing video games. I don't start listening to music and vegging out. I start reaching out online because I don't need to do that while I'm on campus. Why would I do that on campus when there are souls in front of my face? Online sharing, guys, should be an after-campus activity, an after-work activity. God has put you where you are so you can bear fruit there. Bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. In Acts 13, verse 47, it says, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. You got to recognize it as your job to evangelize the world. It's your job, guys. It's the reason God created you. The reason God created you was so that you could make more disciples and bring more glory to Him. Now we got to be careful. Let's look at Psalm 127. Psalm 127. In verse 1, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Vain. It's useless. It's useless. This is where the other part of the phrase comes in. You can't out-worship your work. And you can't outwork your worship. If your worship tanks, if your quiet time is five minutes in the morning, ten minutes in the morning, I would say if your quiet time is anywhere under an hour for people in this room, you need to do better. You're going to try to outwork your worship and it's not going to work. We read John 15. Fruit doesn't come from just hard work. It comes from your worship. So don't get it twisted, guys. As hard as you have to work, as early as you know you can get up and as late as you know you can go to bed, it's not going to make up for a bad quiet time. Mm -hmm. Let's look at Ephesians 3. Come on. Come on, brother. Come on, bro. Ephesians 3. I hope you know this one as well. Verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, his power that is, in, that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And the church said, Amen. Amen. This is the attitude you've got to take into your work. Your work has to be with the mindset, 
I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to exhaust myself. I'm going to push myself harder than I ever have. I'm going to share with more people than I ever have. I'm going to be in more Bible studies than I ever have. I'm going to do everything I can until there's nothing left. And that's when I know that it's God who is able to do immeasurably more. Not a little more. God won't give you a little extra energy to be in Bible studies. God won't give you a little extra insight to share with someone. God won't give you a little extra understanding and wisdom to preach the studies to somebody, to convert their heart to be a disciple. He'll do immeasurably more than that. He will cause you to bear fruit that bears fruit that bears fruit, guys. This is what we're going for. This is what it's going to take to go from good to great. We need to create a fountain of fruit, guys. A fountain of fruit. Not just a one and done show where one guy makes 60 disciples and they don't make disciples. We go over this in the Bible studies. That's not a disciple because the disciples they make aren't making disciples. Know that God will do immeasurably more. So the practical for this is simple, guys. Don't do the minimum. Push the envelope. As a church right now, the standard is for every person to share with 39 people every day. I'm going to challenge the men in this room, certainly the interns, also the campus students, and probably the guys who work. So I think that covers everybody. (laughs) Try to share with your 39 people in person. How far can you get? If God can do immeasurably more, your work schedule doesn't matter. You can share at work. Your class schedule and your exam schedule doesn't matter. You can share in class. Don't share during your exams. You'll get kicked out. Guys, you got to push the envelope. Share with more than 39. That's weak sauce. Last year, we were sharing with 45, 50. Some people sharing with 80. I've seen 100 pop up in the chat before. We can do more than 39. As men, we've got to lead the way. So push the envelope in sharing your faith. Figure out new ways to share your faith. New places to share your faith. Find a hot spot. Find out a new place where the students hang out. New place where your employees, not employees, co-workers hang out. Push the envelope in sharing your faith. This year, brothers, take the church from good to great. Have greater fruit, greater worship, and greater work. To God be the glory. Even greater things that have been done before. Even greater things. Everybody sing.